Hey, Daniel, how's it going? Uh, it's good. Keep doing these uh, Friday recordings here, Evan. You're, uh, we're finishing out the week strong. How about you? How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, I have been working, I guess, East Coast time this morning. I started my first call at 5 a.m. West Coast. So, you know. You. That's gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little gross. Definitely. Well, um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, at least we're doing one this time versus multiple recordings on a Friday. So <laughs> uh, we lucked out there. Well, today's episode is episode 12 of season two, uh, revving up for a coding war. Uh, I'm excited for this topic, and I love that our marketing team decided to throw in our uh, our podcast name a little bit in there, too. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I was a little surprised when I saw the title. I, I know that we were, <laughs> we're talking about coding, but a war, I don't know, we're going to jump in. <laughs> we're going to see, see what this has in store for us, but... Um, let's just jump in. I'll start out with some introductions here. I get the opportunity to introduce our first guest of two guests today from Adeo Technologies. And the first guest that we have here today is a nationally recognized educator, speaker, and author with over 30 years experience in medical coding, billing, and healthcare reimbursement. Um, also part of AAPC, which I'll have to get a definition for what that stands for, the National Advisory Board Member and AAPC National Conference Speaker, and served as the pre president of the AAPC Orlando chapter for several years. Um, and then in 2019, they were named the Mentor of the Year by Florida Health Information Managers Association for their contribution to the membership, uh, and the, currently the Director of Coding at Adeo Technologies. Thanks for joining us, Marsha. Thank you. Hey, Marsha, what does AAPC for our listeners who might not know stand Amer for? American Academy of Professional Coders. There it's the organization that a lot of the coders belong to. They either belong to that or to AHIMA, American Health Information Management Association. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Well, I get the pleasure of introducing our second guest, uh, who I actually get to call a friend now, too, after our HFMA <laughs> stint together. So um, <laughs> they come with an in-depth uh background in revenue cycle management um, and kind of uh, both the service sector and the private uh, medical practice area, um, has a wealth of knowledge of just business operational workflows and design, um, information ma management, um, and kind of just gets to understand the full scope of implementation of all revenue cycle management tools, which is awesome. They are the current past president of the Western West Virginia um, chapter of HFMA, which is Healthcare Finance Management Association, for those who don't know, and is a member of the chapter advisement team. So um, I, we'll have to dive into a different podcast about that and the current vice president of operations. Welcome, Marcia. Thanks, Evan. Daniel, good to see you. Thanks for having us on today. Always fun to talk about coding. We don't bring it up enough on the podcast, so... <laughs> We don't like a couple times a year, maybe it's usually patient access and revenue integrity. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, to help our listeners and our uh, YouTube viewers, uh, we have been getting some hits finally on our YouTube channel, uh, a shameless plug there. Um, can you share, you know, we really want to dive in into our hot topic space, how AI is kind of coming into the coding world and and what what's the difference there between just general AI and machine learning that others might be understanding kind of want to get both of your guys' perspectives on that absolutely Marsha you want to take you want to start us off 
Sure. Um, well, first of all, uh, from a coder's perspective, coding is just very complex and a lot of times very subjective. Uh, so it involves a multitude of rules and regulations that have to be put into the AI. Uh, so teaching it to master all those idiosyncrasies that may be by payer, they may be by in, uh, insurance, they may be by location. There's a number of different um, ways that we have idiosyncrasies for coding. Um, and doing that and maintaining at least a 95% accuracy rate, because that's what's required by Medicare and most of the other insurance carriers, makes it a little bit different than what I call regular AI machine learning. I think of regular AI machine learning more uh, in a general sense of involving repetitive testing and repetitive processing. And while coding, you know, is somewhat repetitive, every encounter is essentially unique and every one of them has different documentation. So teaching the AI to look at a different scenario every single time it actually reads is a little bit more complex task. Do you think it with that being said, do you think that, you know, I, I mean, we've talked about AI quite a bit here, how it's being used in the denial space, it's being used in other spaces. Are you, is AI in the coding world? I mean, what, what are kind of the, you know, we talked about the components, but in that uniqueness, but can you elaborate a little bit more? Cause we have some newer listeners. So we get quite a bit of like early careers that maybe are like patient access leader, you know, up and comer and wants to understand like a little bit more just about the coding co complexities of um, how things are pairing and stuff. Maybe you could dive into that a little bit. For us. Sure. Um, so um, coding, basic coding involves coding the procedures with the CPT code and a diagnosis with an ICD-10 code, um, adding what's referred to as modifiers to those codes when uh, there are extenuating circumstances. So all of those codes have to match up when they go back to the insurance carrier. So <clears throat> the diagnosis that's put on a CPT code has to make medical necessity. So it has to make sense that that service is being done for that diagnosis or that sign or symptom. So getting those matches to agree, uh, making sure that you meet all the guidelines for Medicare and the other insurance carriers um, <clears throat> involves picking the right CPT and picking the right ICD-10, but sequencing them correctly, making sure they don't what we refer to as bundle, meaning two services, one that's inclusive in another. So all of those guidelines have to be taken into play when they're actually being coded as far as what your final codes are going to be and what's going to actually go to the insurance carrier. And I'm gonna, the, oh, go ahead, Daniel. I was just going to say for the naive listeners like myself, I'm always the one learning the most on these podcasts, by the way, in <laughs> case anybody's anybody's wondering um, when you like coding. I mean, you talked about like the the like the different rules, idiosyncrasies, like is that going to be like very different across like payers, like think Medicare, Medicaid or even across state lines? Is that something that like just we have to think about as a as a. Yes. Voting group? Okay. Yeah. And not only, uh, I mean, you think of Medicare kind of as one entity um, because it's federal, but <clears throat> interestingly enough, um, Medicare has several uh, administrative uh, organizations across the United States uh, known as MACs, Medicare Administrative Contractors, and every one of them have the ability to interpret those rules just a little bit differently. So even though it's Medicare, Medicare in Pennsylvania is not necessarily being coded the exact same way as Medicare in Florida is being coded. Cigna the same way. Cigna may code it the same way in one state, but not another, or for one employer, but not another, etc. So, you know, it starts out very basic, but it, it 
it gets very difficult because of all the little idiosyncrasies that are involved. And I think that's what adds this like complexity of saying, ooh, AI in a coding space, right? And how's this going to take over? And what does that look like? Because thinking of it from a local determination, Mac to the national determination coverage. I mean, we already have those arguments between coding and revenue integrity with, with CMS and AMA and saying, well, your guidance in the books are this, but your affiliates are telling us this. And I can remember when we were going through COVID, we were all having to get on those national level calls to say, okay, at the national level, what are you going to tell your Mac so that we can all be consistent and then apply that backwards. So it, it is very, um, leads a lot of room for a constant movement and change. How, how do you see, you know, AI having to respond to that in the coding world, especially when you like start talking about commercial payers and you throw on your Medicare as your foundation, right? And you throw in your local coverage as the second level of foundation there. Now every payer has their own interpretation for their commercial plan versus their managed plan. Um, I, I don't even want to get around Medicaid because they're usually two years behind, right? In, in, yeah. in adopting codes. <laughs> so, exactly. so in that regard, it's like, how, how are you, how do you see, you know, for, in, in, in what are your guys' thoughts on, you know, mm -hmm. How, how are we going to, as an industry, respond to that ever-changing? Because I, I, I just my last call, I was reviewing Anthem policies, and I'm like, ooh, that doesn't feel good. So, And that's going to roll out here in three weeks. And all of a sudden, now, I could see, like, how are you going to respond quickly to help support? Like, what, 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 are, what do you guys see as that challenge with the AI? Yeah, and it, the nice thing, you know, is Marsha was saying, coding in general is complex. So... You have a team, a coder that's, you know, just trying to figure out the right ICD-10 code, diagnosis codes and procedure codes, add in the layer of complexity like we've been talking. So, um, you know, it, institutions, facilities, physician, physician groups I've worked with, um, and even, you know, uh, within my time here at Adeo, it's pairing technology with um, coding knowledge and and their resources. So we we kind of we look at it two ways. One, we're able to take a lot of those individual rules, whether it's a MIPS code, a CMS, MC, LCD, and and use technology to track them, change them quickly, make the updates, and make sure that we're your coder is always informed and and on the right version, and you know all that goes along with technology. And then adding in a um, the sorry, the AI as reviewing and watching and learning from the coders exactly. So it's not that like we're going in and we're saying, okay, we see this word and this word, so it equals this. Like it's taking in the totality of the clinical note, all that's in there, plus how the coder is coding, and it's using it to determine what's, um, you know, what's the best fit, and then taking that kind of other complexity of rules and regulations out of the mix. And so just, you know, I, I know every year, Everybody, what side of the revenue cycle? January, we're all uh, we're all scrambling to get all new updates and everything from CMS in. And so, you know, again, this just lets us do it at a, a much larger scale and and keep everybody up to date more often. I think the other thing I'd like to add to that is the fact that um, you know our kind of philosophy at Adeo is is that we're empowering the coders or we're augmenting the coders. And our purpose is not to, you know, do everything that a coder does and learn everything that's in a coder's mind. So we really don't see um, AI, at least in the coding 
world, taking over the world and replacing jobs, et cetera. But we see it as a tool that the coders can use. They've always had um, other tools. They used to have reference books and they, now they have encoders and software, et cetera. So we just see this as a kind of the next step in that process of making the coder more efficient and making the organization more efficient at their coding and being more mm -hmm. consistent. Um, once you tell the AI something, it doesn't forget it. You tell me something tomorrow, I might not remember it. So um, mm -hmm. that's the big difference between coding and AI. So with that, I, I mean, you guys talked a little bit about how you see AI in the coding space being used as more of that, you know, a, a tool and, and supportive, supportive there. But what are you actually, what are, what is everybody else in the AI space for coding kind of doing? I, I mean, and I, I bring that up because I just had a conversation with the CFO who was saying, you know, I, does it make sense for me to hire 12 more coders or does it make sense for me to bring in a, a bot or an AI technology group that is going to be able to just do the coders, uh, do the coding for me and I don't need it. And I think that there's this disconnect in what is AI actually doing in the coding space mm -hmm. versus what we want it to be doing in the coding space from a leadership perspective? Yeah. And, you know, it, it Marsha mentioned that, you know, our stances were not replacing coders, we're empowering them, but there are a little, a lot of facilities that are looking to, you know, make that change and switch out to a more, you know, uh, technology center centric um, workflow. So it just, it kind of depends on, on what they're looking at. Some of some of the other folks in the space, um, you know, a lot of them are uh, looking at rules, keywords, you know, and, and building it that way. So it, it's it's more piecemeal together. Um, you know, they, you know, they're able to you know get returns on investment. Everything is still, but it's just it's a little bit more harder to keep up with. Um, and then still, yet you have other groups that, you know utilize a little bit of machine learning as it learns and, and taking out um, certain codes. I, I know um, a couple vendors in the space will do a fast track. So they just kind of identify some really easy codes based on um, CPT and ICD. And they kind of just say, okay, every time this one comes through, just label it this way, get it out the door. And so they're just, you know, they're relying on, you know, patterns in that space. But as Marsha mentioned earlier, it's just it, it's not you know every things could change. We all know that in documentation, we're trying to get something covered, you know, from a revenue stance and doctors missing documentation, and but yeah, there there are several different um, tools out there, and I guess I would say it just kind of depends on what your organization is looking for, um, and you know what is best for the organization. But there's there's different methods um, when thinking about like supplementing or like empowering a coder like I, i'm i'm essentially taking a tool to make their work better does that also help with things like onboarding new coders or like training is that like an opportunity there to use machine learning or ai as like uh you know i'm, I'm getting plugged into the space and you know the idiosyncrasies for for example we just talked about like pa mac like maybe it's a little bit different um, for the naive listener like myself, I'm trying to think about like, how do I, <laughs> how does a uh, coder working across the country for all these different payers and everything know everything? And is that something that, that a tool could train them or help the, point them in the right direction? Sure. The the really nice part about the AI is that you can take a beginning coder, okay, or someone that's relatively new and doesn't have all that knowledge, you know, stuck in their head. 
Um, but you also can take that really advanced learner or advanced coder or one that has a lot of coding expertise, because what happens is, is that when the coder's not using something like AI, they're using resources. So they're stopping in the middle of looking at an operative report, let's say, and going over to an encoder and looking up codes, or they're going and researching on the CMS website or whatever. And every time they do that, they're using all those extra keystrokes and steps and logging in and logging out. And they're losing all the efficiencies of not just coding and sitting there eight hours a day, um, five days a week and coding. So do they really code eight hours a day? Probably not. But the AI is able to do that. If you have a new coder or some of our clients that just use our platform, so they really aren't um, taking the auto coding into effect, they're just using the platform to have one place to go. And that's where all their rules are. That's where everything is. So they don't have to log in, log out, check over here, check over there, have three screens, pull out my cheat sheet, whatever whatever they have to you know figure out how they're going to code that particular one. All the prompts, all the cues come up for them so they don't have to waste all that time um, trying to find that information and hopefully find it or maybe just say, well, I'll just do the best I can and move on to the next one. So to your point, it's only 95% accuracy we're aiming for, right? So yes. you can have 5% five, 5 <laughs> that you sort of shrug your shoulders and go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go ahead and pause here, take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to jump in and hear more about what um, you guys are doing in this space. Are you ready to unlock the full potential of your medical coding team? Look no further than Adeo Technologies, the leading provider of medical coding productivity solutions. With Adeo's Gemini Solution Suite, medical coders are empowered and complemented with cutting edge tools and technologies. The Gemini Coder platform, Gemini AutoCode, and Gemini Coding Assist solutions work seamlessly together, creating efficiency and improving accuracy in medical coding. Say goodbye to tedious manual processes, cheat sheets, and memorization, and embrace the power of workflow improvements, artificial intelligence, and predictive coding. At Adeo, we believe in the collaboration between medical coders and artificial intelligence to create coding capacity that makes human coders more valuable to their healthcare organizations. Visit our website at www.adeo-tech.com. It's adeo-tech.com to learn why we love coders and how Adeo Technologies is transforming medical coding productivity one claim at a time. And we're back. All right. So we just talked a little bit about um, how a coder, if they're not using AI or machine learning or other tools, they might have to go search a lot and they, they, they really break, it breaks the efficiency that they have in their coding work. What are some of the tools that you all are providing to help, to help tackle that challenge? I imagine that's one of the bigger challenges in, in a coder's coder's world and that you can accomplish with technology is like, mm -hmm. put this in front of them. What does that look like for, for a day? Yeah. I'll, I'll kick us off and talk more on the operational side, how it fits and Marcia can, talk through the, the actual coding. Um, from an operational standpoint, we have everybody in one location. Um, Marcia mentioned earlier that having to log in, log out. So that's eliminated with our platform. So you can have, uh, you know, you can be a major health system and have multiple campuses, physician groups, and it's just all in one spot. Um, it also lends efficiencies on delegating work. Um, we're able to 
sort and sourced by multitude. So, you know, we may take and have uh, more experienced coders working some of those, you know, more challenging areas of service. Um, and then in general, uh, when we put somebody on a platform, we're seeing about a 50% lift in productivity out the gate. So a normal coder is probably in the 25 to 30 range per hour. Um, and we're seeing um, with our clients, I also manage our, our coding group and I'm seeing, you know, upwards of 60 codes being able to hit charts per hour. So, I mean, we've, we've taken it down, you know, quite a bit. So just from an efficiency standpoint, um, you know, you're able to lower your days in AR because you're getting through items. Um, and then, you know, if, if, if we have to, because I'm sure it never happened to anybody else, but, you know, that that clinician just forgot to put some information or just was a little unclear. You know, we have ability to connect uh, seamlessly with that finish, <laughs> excuse me, physician um, and provide exactly what we're looking for and then kind of get right back in that chart and, and help us out with the documentation. So I, I think it's a win on the operational side. It makes... Um, you know, we talked earlier about trying to your client who was looking at, you know, do I hire 12? Do I ut utilize technology? Um, and then, you know, with with a platform like ours, they would only have to, or, you know, bring in maybe half of that to, to cover the volume. I would say from a coder's perspective, one of the biggest complaints that I've heard over the years that I've been in the coding field is, you know, Coders have a great deal of expertise, those that have a, a large number of years. They want to use that expertise. They don't want to spend their time flipping through pages, coding some really mundane type charts, those types of things like that. So for a lot of organizations, using the AI to take care of what I refer to kind of as the mundane charts, the the uh, uh, productivity type charts of, you know, I, I can, the AI can do 200 of those an hour. Um, it gives those to the AI and you have the ability to say, okay, well, if it's this type of chart, say an interventional radiology chart, maybe I don't want the AI to try to code that. Maybe I want my coders that I'm paying a lot of money to have that level of expertise to use their expertise eight hours a day, five days a week, instead of, oh, I did a whole bunch of charts this morning that I could have done with my eyes closed. And this doesn't feel very fulfilling to me. I think I might go work someplace where I can code charts that really are a challenge for me because that's what I that's what I went to school for. That's what I learned. That's That's my life. So I think it's very fulfilling to the coders as well. Um, as from an operational standpoint. What spaces do you see, you know, AI really jumping in and and even in your space? I, I know in that regards, like, is it more specialty? Is it kind of across the continuum in that regards? Because I know when from helping recruit in my past lives for coders, you know, it's always hard to find a cat lab coder. It's always hard to find one. Yep. Somebody who understands both professional and technical and then you end up having to develop and groom them and, and spend a ton of extra resources and books and things of that nature. But what are kind of the some of those sweet spots bases that you're seeing AI jump right out right now in the coding space to help kind of support that maybe not be that where you still need that technical, that expert, and, and you're watching people maybe start to groom those technical experts in, in that regard, so... Are you seeing, uh, seeing that or are you seeing more kind of across the board, just general use of, of it? I would say that yeah. it's probably across the board. Um, we, 
you know, Adeo does a lot of different specialties, multi-specialties in the surgical um, arena, in the radiology, anesthesia arena, EM arena, et cetera. Um, so um, I think pretty much, you know, every type of medical care that's being provided that has to be coded and submitted to an insurance carrier could benefit from, from utilizing AI. Yeah. And I, I mean, as Marsh said, you know, Adeo, we, we cover a lot of different specialties, um, but you do find a lot more in radiology, um, diagnostics, things that are, you know, not as complex. So you're not going to, if you searched um, AI cath lab, you know, there may be only a handful of results that come back. So it's just, it's not a, AI hasn't gotten to the point where we're, you know, coding inpatient and it's, you know, it's still a little um, immature in that way, but I think eventually it'll be able to hit, you know, cases all across the spectrum. So really outpatient focused clinic bay or clinic based focused services right now. Um, what about in the SNF world? Are you, is AI helping with those physician visits when they're, you know, having to go do home care or, you know, consultations and that, that type of service? Um, you don't see a lot in the, those really niche markets like DME, home health. Um, we uh, we have a couple clients in that in that area. And the nice thing about the way we attack AI is, you know, we learn from the data that the client provides us. And so, you know, day one, it's you know, we are not saying you'll be eighty percent ready to go AI. Um, it's a it's a learning process. We learn from their team um, if there's some challenges, you know, maybe the information isn't great or, you know, some of their coders or they, you can just feel that turnover in their documentation, you know, then we're working with them on how to, um, you know, properly document and learning again altogether. So it's a, you know, it is a little bit of, um, it's not a huge lift in about two months, 60 days, we're able to start predicting some codes. So um, our, our customers are able to re- to receive some lift from AI. Um, we also, and I, I threw out a word we haven't talked about yet, predictive. Um, we utilize AI for complete. So we're giving you your ICD, your CPT, your modifiers. Um, and then we also predict based on uh, clinical documentation. So we're giving them a little bit of a head start as far as um, coding goes. Very cool. So then, so so I'm just going to kind of put it together for uh, in my brain. So Providers doing the service, they're documenting in in most cases Epic these days, right? Like could be mm-hmm. Cerner or a Meditech platform, but usually an Epic platform. That's coming, that data is then getting extracted. The clinical documentation is getting extracted and gets loaded into or or your AI is coming into the platform, right? To to grab the information. Is it integrated with the EMR systems or are you seeing AI kind of while it's grabbing the information, they're still working in a third party solution or is it or is it both models out there? Yeah, we uh it at our at a day we can do really three different models. We can just go in, grab the data, send back um the charts that we've coded using AI and um everybody remains in their native system. Uh we we utilize you know, we have a platform, so maybe you're not even in your system already or, you know, with another coding uh, add-on and, you know, you can use our platform, same thing. We can either integrate with uh, the the host system um, or receive it via a 
API, we do fire, uh, flat files, you know, so I, I guess if thinking in the, the revenue cycle world, you have some partners that are able to go in and sit side by side, some that are outside, and then a combination of both. And so that's how we look at it. it it's just dependent upon the the individual customer and, and their needs. And for any listeners out there that are trying to wrap their heads around all this, uh, you can go to adeo-tech.com. I'm also there right now, <laughs> just like following <laughs> along on the website to figure out like, okay, here's the here's the different solutions. There's, um, there's a good breakdown. I do have a question for you all though. Just, I know you mentioned there's like a ramp up period as, this is, as the tools are learning how it works for our organization. You, I think you mentioned what, 60 days or something like that where, before it can start. Does that also have, uh, I'm just like thinking in my head out loud, um, like new year, like new new things that are coming into effect, like a payer changes something, or um, there's like a new policy in effect. I mean, Evan, you were just talking about reading, I think, Anthem policies, and you're like, oh, that's gross. Um, mm-hmm. Does that does that also like require like does it take time for the for the platform to learn that, or is that something that you all like are able to teach a model beforehand when those things are coming about? A little bit of both. Um, we get the downloads for all that information for like LCDs and NCDs and bundling and unbundling and all those things um, that go right into the AI. And so if the AI is able to apply those directly, it does. Um, but there are probably some adjust. There is a, probably a little bit of an adjustment period in the first of the year um, as it continues to to code some of those new rules or if they've completely changed something like Think about ENMs a couple of years ago when they completely revamped them. Then that one's probably going to take the AI a little while to kind of get adjusted to. But if we're simply talking about we don't cover that service anymore, or that service is now bundled, or you can't use that diagnosis code, those be- those become immediate because it basically you know tries to code the chart and then it actually goes out to the NCL- NCD LCD checks it and immediately figures figures out that oh I can't code that that's that's not going to work um so it goes back and reads through the document and tries to look for something else so those those results are immediate so you know the the major changes if you will are are pretty much immediate when that information's downloaded yeah and, and just add a little bit we actually just received an update from um AMA on CBT codes and procedure codes. So we've updated, you know, we, we get the file, we update it within a day or two and it's, it's in there. Which I'll just add varies greatly for a coder. So maybe they read the CPT assistant, maybe they don't, maybe their manager reads it, but doesn't pass it along to them. Uh, Maybe they read it, but they don't implement it immediately. So AI gives a, a, a better opportunity to, you know, be right there spot on. Um, real time. I'll say, so how is the AI working in the sense of, um, you know, some organizations will do uh, cloning of charges, for instance. So the hospital drops Mm -hmm. the charge and then it clones the professional charge. And then today it's a work queue for a coder to review or, or goes through a coding review. How's that working with AI? Is the AI doing the review or is it still, you know, vice versa or vice versa having the code or still do a review or maybe nobody's review <laughs> yeah it just it it kind of depends on the workflow uh we can certainly uh just you know sometimes we might just get the clinical note and then ai is working a little harder um to to bring back you know the appropriate codes 
Um, other times, you know, it, if the workflow is the physician uh, codes, we're going to get the codes in our system, you know, validate based on the clinical note. And if it's different, let the let the coder know. And, you know, they, they review and then send it on. Um, we do that currently um, with one of our more recent partners. That's the workflow. And then it gets to a point where they've, you know, they get some familiarity with it and then they say, okay, and they'll just let it pass through. And then some clients are like, go, it's fine. Just let it go through. We're good. But just again, back to individual preferences, but the system's built to handle um, multiple methods and ways of coding. Is there a, a feedback loop in the system or when you're like thinking about um, just like getting AI set up, like let's think like I have a bunch of like medical necessity denials or something that like comes through on the denial front. How does that feedback into the tool or how would you all think about that that information? Take this one, Marsha. Sure. Um, so a couple things. Um, we have a close partnership with all of our clients. If they are, if they are, seeing a lot of denials for something, they will immediately alert us to that. Um, and if necessary, we'll go into the system and take a look to see if those are actually being generated by the AI or whether they're being generated by a coder or how they're actually happening so that we can go back in. And I mean, we are constantly updating the AI. It's not something that, okay, it learned everything so we can just walk away and it can just do its thing. It's a constant, you know, everyday kind of thing because, you know, we'll get changes in, uh, you know, like you talked about Medicaid, they may decide that oh, we're going to update that. So that means that the AI has to learn that. So we have to monitor that and make sure that the AI understood what they needed to do with it. Um, and at that point, then we would release it, send it to the client. Um, but then, you know, who knows, six months later, they may change it back. We've had, you know, those types of situations where mm -hmm. we, we just get the AI going good after a month or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we've changed our minds. We're going back to the way it was. And we end up having mm -hmm. to tell the AI, you know, forget that you know, go back to the way what you were doing a month ago. So there's constant change. And that's what's so difficult for a coder to do to deal with is that constant updating and that constant trying to keep current and reading all that material and making sure you're looking at the most current, whatever, NCD or LCD or, or CPT assistant or whatever. It's, it's, it's almost an impossible job. But once it's put into the AI's, I call it brain, okay, it's not going to forget that. So it's always going to remember that. It's always going to go search for that. And it's always going to use that information in order to code it as correctly as possible. Well, let's jump into a quick break and we'll be right back. Claim Capital is a team of ex-Epic staff focused on preventing denials. Instead of showing what was denied, which is the standard for other solutions available today, Claim Capital pinpoints why claims are denied. By training machine learning models on an organization's claim and remittance data, Claim Capital can identify the causes of denials and recommend changes in EHR build or workflows to prevent them from happening in the future. With a completely HIPAA-compliant infrastructure, no software implementations, and a zero-risk pricing structure, organizations can quickly and safely recover lost revenue. And we're back. And just thinking about, you know, this platform, we're getting it rolled out to clients. If I'm like a client that's listening or a healthcare organization, I say client, <laughs> somebody <laughs> listening out there who's like, you know what, I, I could benefit from this, um, but maybe wants to hear like some stories about what success looked like. Uh, do you all have some like stories to share or some uh, maybe like very like quick successes that like somebody should be thinking about or be able to communicate out? 
Sure. Um, I'll, I'll do one, then I'll let Marcia do one and yeah. go, go from there. So one of the ones that we had was we, we did have, we have a group uh, that came to us. And um, as we mentioned, you learn from the material that they give you. So if their coders code wrong, guess what? The AI is going to code wrong too. And they said, mm-hmm. you know what? We have, I don't remember how many coders, 50 coders. And out of those 50 coders, only 10 of them are really good. And we don't want to give you bad information. So we really only want to provide you the input from those 10 coders. And so basically what they did was use their best of the best to train the AI. So that basically what the AI came out with was not 100%, but, you know, at that 95 percentile, as opposed to if they had just given us all their information, you know, and they knew that, you know, they've got coders that are not so great, other coders that are okay, that they would have ended up, you know, being at, you know, 80 or 85 percent or even less. Um, so, you know, the AI gives the opportunity for the for them to utilize, you know, the best that they have and to duplicate that and make the AI be, be the same and be the best of the best as well. Thinking best and of the I best. Say- Oh, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, like, thinking of that best of the best, has any of your other clients ever asked you to, hey, you have this huge think tank already out there. Can we leverage what is already the best from them? And then we append our data into that. We do have, um, if we have have done a specialty before um, and the AI has had some training as a result of that then that AI information, not the actual data, but what the AI has learned, you know, when you see this word, code this, when you don't see this word, don't code this. So some of that knowledge would be used um, and that would kind of get them off to a little bit of a head start as opposed to other customers that might be a new specialty. And just before I go into a story, tacking on there, um, you know, the, what sometimes happens as well is, you know, we're utilizing the the knowledge of somebody else but we all know coders code differently and you know we have to work really closely in implementation in the first couple months to you know make sure that you know the way a client customer wants us to code it is you know is the correct way because even though they've been doing it that way forever and ever in a day maybe there's something a little different or you know by going with you know what we call the ai um, the Adeo coding method, um, they'll they'll see better, you know, information. It's just an overall, I guess, more sound way to code instead of um, picking, utilizing their old and and sticking with it. So so there there is that piece of it, which I'm sure we've all dealt with on any project with a with a customer, or a hospital, trying to get them into best practices. Um, as far as story, um, you know our our clients, customers, as Marsh said, work really close with. So, you know, we have the ability that if they're working on our platform that, you know, we have AI, we have the bucket that, um, you know, doesn't meet that threshold. So their coders have to work in it. And like any other industry and probably a little bit more, we're having trouble finding coders. You know, you have a group and something happens, unexpected illness, unexpected, you know, leave. And now, you know, you're, you're all of a sudden, you know, down 25% in your workforce um, because of how we have set up and we're able to help out. So, you know, there are times of the year where volumes go up, we're able to jump in and, and help the customer in that instance, and then, you know, ramp down and just really be able to fill in um, so they don't have to figure out how they can do 
five people's worth of work with, you know, one and a half person. So that's always nice when we can help them in that way. I've been on the other end of that where they just didn't have the people and then their yeah. CFB just like skyrocketed. And everyone's like, oh, you know, Cody won't work through it. And it's like, what, what a disastrous situation. Yeah. <laughs> the nice thing about that is with the AI is that, you know, the AI is always there. So if they need more, more uh, charts processed through there, the AI is always ready to go. If they, you know, get behind and their end build report, you know, looks like a disaster. You know, I've worked on the other side and I've worked for auditing and coding companies where we get a phone call and they say, geez, you know, we've got $8 million and we've got to get this stuff out. And so what happens is the coder that comes onto that account is brand new to that account. They don't know all the idiosyncrasies. They don't know all the ins and outs. Oh, we don't code that. Oh, we code that this way, et cetera. Whereas if they use us for whatever I call it, nights and weekends, holidays, whatever the case, overflow, whatever they need, then that AI is always ready to go. And so basically they just say, hey, uh, we need you to help us with, you know, our reports and can you take all of our whatever uh, x-rays or can you take all of our CTs or can you take all of our GI surgeries, whatever, and code them. And it's just a matter of turning it on and saying, go to it, as opposed to that training lag that happens uh, when you first start with a what I call a relief coder, if you will. Well, thank you for your stories. Um, I know I have a lot to think about. Coding's always like new for me. I know we, we mentioned that um, like I have a more like a revenue integrity, like Epic build background. So it's always fun to, uh, listen to something a little bit new. Uh, one of the other topics that we've had on the podcast is single path coding. I guess, Evan, one of our listeners asked us this, so we're going to throw it in the Wilshire lab today. Uh, and I'm hoping you can help us out. Uh, so how the question is, I'm just going to read it verbatim. How are AI and single path coding different or how do you see AI supporting single path coding? I know a lot of our uh, listeners are exploring single path coding. They're probably also thinking about AI if they're listening. Mm -hmm. I'm curious for your, 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 both your thoughts on uh, differentiating that and how that plays together. Well, one of the things I would say is um, even though it may be a single path, so it might be a family practice or it might be a surgeon's office, et cetera, um, they're pretty much the same for AI, but there are a lot of other things that are similar in that pretty much every physician does ENMs. And so if they do ENMs, then that's something that the AI's already been trained on. And so it already has the ability to support them. That's also, a, in a lot of cases, a large portion of their work is involved in ENMs as well. So the AI system is, is basically going to learn from whatever it gets. So whether it gets one specialty, 10 specialties, you know, et cetera, it's still, it's still going to learn that information and be able to code, code from that. So it doesn't really differentiate that much as far as a single path versus a multi-specialty path. So, so when we, so industry speak for single path, it, it's an epic terminology just to share with every, all of our listeners as well. So um, while I totally agree with what Marsha just said for, I think the question uh, spinning it a little bit different for them is single path in the sense of epic means that one coder is coding both physician and hospital services simultaneously for that work that was performed. So it could have been a procedure Sure. Or it could have been a surgical case, or it could have actually just been, hey, I'm now over ED, so I'm coding what occurred for the physician at the same time as I'm selecting the level for sure. the hospital. Right. Um, so in that regard, um, you know, the AI 
can do both of them. Uh, we do have clients, some that are professional only, some that are technical only, some that are global. Um, and so the AI just, again, just has to learn that other facet, if you will, of that. But it is nice because um, having worked the, that scenario as a coder, it's very difficult to kind of put on your different hat and say, oh, that's right, I'm, I'm doing the facility right now. Oh, that's right, I'm doing physician right now. Um, so um, the AI, you know, has already learned that information. So it's it has the ability when it goes into a client to know, oh, that client's professional. Um, uh, some services that I do will have to have a 26 on it. Uh, but now I'm doing technical and some of them may need whatever, TC modifier, or I have to think about payment status indicators and what have you as far as whether I need a modifier. So it's going to learn, for lack of a better term, those two se separate set of rules um, for that particular client because they're doing both sides. So essentially, I mean, instead of, you know, we're seeing a lot of people having to like take a professional coder and a hospital coder and train them to mm -hmm. co-train them or have mm -hmm. have them be able to cover each other's specialty and, and do that. Essentially, they kind of what I'm hearing is the client could say, hey, we're keeping our hospital-based coder, but we're going to have the, the AI do the professional com component and the hospitals double-checking the professional along with the hospital at the same time or vice versa in, the, yep. in that instance. Yeah. Yes. You know, and, and on top of that, as Marcia said, you know, if you to remember which one is which, um, you know, you, we, we have the AI to fall back on, um, but we can also... Uh, put in different elements, I'm, I'm going to call rules, that kind of will be safeguards. So if somebody forgets a, a modifier, that it'll get added, um, you know, so it's just, again, it's just a nice um, double checking method too. you know, just because you don't want anything going out wrong, because that ends up costing days and money. We all know that statistic. So well, thanks for uh, answering our question here from our listener. We'll be sure to let you know if they if they have any follow-ups. <laughs> um, and I appreciate you all joining us here for our season two, episode 12, revving up for a coding war. Is it a coding war? I don't know. Maybe it's a, it's a peaceful exchange between AI and coders. Who knows? I'll let you all just be the de uh, deciders on that point. But um, just for everybody who's listening and maybe wants to connect and reach out for more information or exploring AI and machine learning in the coding space, can you let our listeners know what's the best way to reach out to you um, or if who they should be reaching out to, if that's something as well? Yeah. Um, you know, our LinkedIn page is a great way to, to reach out. Um, our, you know, our, our sales team really monitors it. Um, we're posting blogs, advice, all that kind of stuff. So just in general, it's, you know, it's good to follow throw in that little shameless plug there. Um, but uh, also too, our website mentions different ways, ways to connect. Um, and, and you'll be, maybe you won't be surprised. We get a lot of different inquiries through our, our website and through our LinkedIn pages, but yeah, um, happy to set up a demo, talk some more, or if you just have some other coding questions, you know, Marsha's available. Yeah. Well, Daniel, Marcia, and Marcia, thank you guys for a wonderful episode, um, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. 
If you liked today's episode, continue to join Wilshire Wednesdays. You can follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Evan underscore Wilshire. Daniel can be followed at Daniel underscore TWG. Wilshire Group at TWG Health. On Facebook at the Wilshire Group or on Instagram at Wilshire IT Revcast. Remember, if you prefer to watch, come check us out at the Wilshire IT Revcast YouTube channel. If you have an inquiry, want to share your thoughts or get additional information on today's episode, email us at Wilshire Podcast at the Wilshire Group. The best way to support this podcast is to review, rate, and subscribe. See you next time. Bye-bye. The Wilshire IT Revcast is hosted, produced, and engineered by Evan Martin and Daniel Bianchini. It is executive produced by Gretchen Case, Hank Smither, and Spencer Thielman. The Wilshire Group, experience you can trust, results you can count on.